I am Liz Wright. Welcome to Live Your Best Life. The only thing that matters now is living by the power of this wonderful new creation life. We're going to become an undefeatable force of radiating glory, and we are rising up strong now in this hour. Hi, family. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Live Your Best Life with Mila's Right. And I honestly am so excited. I've been so looking forward to today's conversation. My special guest joining me is the publishing executive or in a publishing executive at Destiny Image Publishing. He's also um, the host, I should say. <laughs> I'm jumping ahead of myself there. He's the host of Sean Tabbott Show. He's also co-author now of literally one of the most outstanding books I think I've ever read. It's called Near Death Experiences, 101 Stories That Help Us Understand Heaven, Hell and the Afterlife. And Honestly, I could not put the book down. It's so interesting. It's the content in there is so faith enhancing and just compelling. Anyway, you're going to hear more from my special guest joining me for today, who is the co-author of the book, as I said, Sean Tabbott. Sean, welcome. Well, Liz, thank you so much for uh, inviting me to your podcast and for all of your kind words about the book. This is a book that was birthed out of uh, an interesting and difficult time in my life. And so it's just, it's been fun to get reports of how it's touched people and just how it's been impacting people. So uh, I, I always appreciate any level of feedback. So thank you for that kindness. I just love it. I mean, it's clearly, it's obvious to me that in writing it, you you'd seriously do have a mission. Like you really do want to bring comfort and through uncertainty, through trying to help us gain an understanding of what happens when we leave this earth, right? And that was the thing that came across to me as I was reading it. It was just hope, hope, hope. There's a ton of evidence out there now, guys. Hope, hope. And the stories that you share is like, oh my gosh, I have to talk to this man. <laughs> so, really, so, so tell me just in beginning, just how did you end up working on the research and putting that book together because it's such a brilliant and fascinating subject. I thought everyone has a journey, don't they? So what was a bit of your journey? How did you end up writing it? Yeah, I, I kind of haphazardly fell into the near-death experiences space. Uh, the did first you? two books I read uh, were John Burke's book, Imagine Heaven, which almost everybody in our circles have, they've read that one. And then mm -hmm. I had worked with Randy on his book, Dying to Meet Jesus. And as Providence would have it, we did a podcast interview about that book about three and a half years ago, and it went viral. And then we just started doing content of him and me interviewing other people who'd had these near-death experiences. And that was really in the midst of the, the turmoil with the lockdowns and church closures and COVID and everything crazy that was going on. And all of a sudden, we sort of fell into this space where we started getting testimonies of people saying, I, I watched your interview with so-and-so and I've been distant from the Lord and I've rededicated my life. Or I watched this interview with that person and I got healed during, well, just watching the interview. And so we just started getting hundreds and hundreds of testimonies uh, through Randy's ministry of, you know, people just watching an interview and their lives being transformed. Now I've been interviewing people for 10 years. Randy's done tons of content through the years as an author. And we'd yeah. never been in this space where, 
we saw the Holy Spirit drop on something so significantly. And it wasn't anything, we were just using the skill sets we've used for years. And so uh, that's really how we fell into the space of putting out these books about the near-death experiences because of what we saw God doing in the midst of our, our YouTube videos and our yeah. podcasts. Yeah, so you could see that it was really, really needed information. It was the right time, wasn't it, for this message right. to come out. And it impacted me as well how you were sharing how there are many, many thousands more people that have actually had these experiences than have been willing to previously share, you know, for perhaps fear of being seen as a, a religious extremist or whatever, whatever, you know what I mean? The, the negative, potential negative impact of people coming and sharing these stories. But now so many people are, it's like God's up to something big, you know, and it's really restoring hope. Okay. I want to dive into some of the research, sure. some of your findings, which is just fantastic content. So questions that I can ask you that I know people, you guys out there would probably want to ask as well. So Number one, what happens in your experience having interviewed hundreds of people, probably more than hundreds of people, but certainly for the book, you've got 101 selected testimonies from people you've interviewed. <clears throat> what have you found that has that happens at the point we die, at the point we leave our bodies? Uh, that would typically, I mean, in, in terms of the, the verbiage or the language that we would use, and that, that I'll just uh, go in a little bit of a side trail for a moment. That's one of the things we really hope to do with this book uh, is give people a vocabulary around how to effectively discuss the afterlife and, and also give them mm -hmm. a framework because that's that's really lacked in near-death experience books in the Christian space. But uh, typically when somebody is entering into a near-death experience, they've had some kind of a catastrophic accident or some kind of a health event, an emergency uh, of sorts, and they enter into what we would typically refer to as an out-of-body experience where their spirit is leaving their body. Um, what that feels like for different people, some people will say that they feel like their spirit's being pulled out of their body. Uh, I think in, when Randy shares his story, he talks about how it felt like his spirit like left his stomach uh, of all things. Um, mm -hmm. Other people will describe they all of a sudden are kind of confused. They don't even realize they're out of their body. Uh, Jim Woodford's account uh, where he is, he drives out to check on a field that he was about to sell on his property and he dies in his truck and he, he all of a sudden is like, man, I haven't felt this good in years. Oh my gosh. Like I've been so sick for so many years. And he walks out into his field and is looking around and he turns around and he, he sees a guy sitting in his truck and he's like, what the heck? Why, why is there? He's like, he's getting angry. He's like, there's a man sitting in my truck. And so he starts moving back in that direction. And suddenly he realized it's him sitting in his truck and he's dead. And so, uh, you know, people, Wow. often have this temporary time frame where they actually are inner kind of interacting with their day-to-day -day environment where they'll try to turn on the light switch or touch a wall or what have you and their hands go through things so it's often a period uh, of initial disorientation uh, as they enter so into that out-of-body experience and usually that proceeds with a floating upwards heading towards a light that that sort of a thing but uh, that initial out-of-body experience um, varies from person to person, but a lot of times has a few of those consistent markers of the disorientation and a little bit of time to interact with the environment. Gosh, it's fascinating, isn't it? And then um, 
The other thing that I thought was just incredible was how you've been able through the research to identify nine specific things that seem to be consistent across everybody's testimonies, even though everybody's testimony is unique and specific and profound for them, because each person clearly has come back having had this experience. But there are nine consistent pieces that happen in the story to everybody. Can you go there? Can you share us with, with us what you found? Because I just was, I was reading this going, whoa, oh my God. I don't, I don't think I have so the much list hope. Of, I don't think I have the Can list of, them? Of, of nine in my notes or, in front of me. But several uh, of them. But, and, and let me talk through that too. Like, again, that's yeah, one of the things yeah. that just, it's it hasn't existed in the Christian space uh, for these sorts of books. A lot of times we'll share people's testimonies and their stories, um, mm. but we we don't have a framework, which I feel like empowers people to talk about these, to tell a story. Um, the framework also really helps people who've had these sorts of experiences process them. Um, on the more mainstream, secular side of this publishing space, there's a lot of different frameworks. And so in the research, we looked at a bunch of different frameworks and just tried to break them down into something a little more concise. Uh, we'll see how many of them I can remember off the top of my head. Um, but but it, it effectively is going through each of the steps. So we start out talking about like, how does somebody cross that threshold? You know, what, is, what does that look like? Again, as we talked about earlier, that, that accident, that mm -hmm. catastrophic health event, whatever that might be. Uh, typically past that, you're entering into some kind of an out-of-body experience. You might have a very minimal amount of time to interact with the environment that you're in. Um, sometimes people, they just start rising out of their body instantaneously. Uh, past that point, you're often going towards some kind of a bright light, uh, you know, be it a, a portal or it, it's usually round, interestingly enough. Some people will describe doors, but typically some kind of a bright light. Um, once they rise into that bright light, there's usually some kind of a threshold. Some people talk about they'll get in this space that looks like it's kind of between heaven and hell. Like they'll look one direction and it's kind of stark and the grass is parched and there's usually a pit as smoke and other things. And to, they look to the other side and uh, it just looks more, more of a heavenly landscape. The grass is green. Things look a lot nicer. Um, if it's not that kind of in-between space, uh, other people will talk about uh, coming to a gate. That's very typical where somebody will uh, came to the gate of heaven or so, some kind of a, a gate. Uh, often with that, um, people, people who aren't staying in heaven, they're going to go back. They're not allowed to go past that gate. Um, other people, even though they don't stay, they're taken on a tour of heaven. So they do get to go past the gate, how God works out, who gets the tour and who just goes home. Uh, I haven't, haven't quite been able to figure that out yet. Um, we also look at, you know, people meeting uh, different kind of supernatural beings, you know, be it angels or encountering different members of the Trinity. Um, not as many encounters with the Holy Spirit in the near-death experience stories, uh, but very typical that somebody would either encounter Jesus or the Father. A lot of times what that encounter looks like is very much tied to how they need to experience God. So somebody who doesn't have a good relationship with their father, father issues, problems at home, they'll encounter God the Father and maybe like a child be sitting in God's lap. Uh, interestingly really? enough. And so just really right. filling that need. Um, a lot of times the encounters with Jesus can, it, it's either one of two things. It seems like, like almost like a big brother kind of experience, or just, you are just pressed to the floor in Jesus's amazing, glorious presence. Um, so yeah, we, we've got, uh, heavenly landscapes, uh, you know, all kinds of different, um, 
buildings and structures. Um, pro- probably one of the ones that um, has had the biggest impact on people from some of the previous books we've done and some of the ministry events that we've done. Um, there is this common thread of people who see some kind of a nursery in heaven. And it, 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 it kind of varies what the structure looks like and what the kids are doing. But um, it, I've, I know at least four or five near-death experiences where they saw a nursery in heaven where all the lost and aborted children, kids who died before their time go. Uh, and so that's been a consistent theme. Uh, there's another testimony uh, of a gentleman who talks about how not only did he see kind of kind of that nursery or that place where these children go, he also saw parents arriving in heaven, getting to encounter their children in like the stages that they needed to see them because they didn't get to see them grow up. And so uh, that that is consistent uh, in a lot of testimonies. And I, I've even had the opportunity to see that shared from a stage at a ministry event and just talk to some of the different people in the audience after the fact as people were done praying with some of the speakers and such. And that testimony alone was um, life-changing for people who'd lost children, just to to hear that and to pray through that. Um, people see mansions in heaven. Uh, Alwyn Matthews is a, is a gentleman. We talk about his story in the book. And he he doesn't see his own personal mansion. He He's taken to this city that has what he called sort of mansions for like churches and ministries. And so you're seeing like the imp- stru- somehow structurally the impact of what his his ministry and his church had uh, on earth thus far, almost like it was kind of, it, it was very unique because a lot of times people will have a, a life review, which is another one of the stages where um, God will show them the different stages, different stages of their life and how he showed up and maybe even experience how they'd hurt other people and go through those sorts of things. Uh, Alwyn actually in, in encountering this, this mansion um, saw basically a life review for their church and their ministry and their effectiveness and where they kind of fell short uh, and that sort of a thing. So all, all that to say, uh, there's a lot of variability. Um, people meet a welcoming committee uh, often, uh, mm-hmm. probably 80 to 90% of the time it's people you would know. So like your grandparents, a lost parent or sibling, a friend. So as, as you kind of get to that crossing that gate, entering into heaven, uh, you'll see people that, you know, uh, gosh, I think I'm remembering all of all, almost all these. I'm, uh, I'm an- very impressed. <laughs> animals in heaven is yeah. another concept that comes up. Uh, Randy and I joke about it because I'm like, I don't think there's cats in heaven, but because um, people usually t- like horses <laughs> have come up. Um, people oh. often talk about meeting their lost dogs in heaven. Uh, you know, people see lions and other animals in heaven. Uh, so that's an, uh, another consistent theme. And then there's just the kind of what I call re-entry. Uh, where, you know, you're, you're told you're going back or you start kind of reversing and heading back down the, the tunnel, if you will. Uh, some of those are peaceful. Some of those are jarring. Uh, I think Heidi Barr talks about how when she was put back in her body, it was like her spirit didn't fit anymore after being in heaven. And it, it felt kind of chaotic uh, in reentering her body. Um, and then past past the re-entry, entry, uh, I think the last stage is just the the ongoing effects. You don't have a near-death experience without being dramatically impacted. Uh, you know, some people have only hell experiences. Some people have both a hell experience and then a heaven experience. Uh, and so the, the impact varies. Uh, but uh, on average, it takes somebody about seven years to wrestle with what they encountered. I often like to think of it as our 
physical minds can't deal with the, just the grandeur of everything that they uh, they encountered in heaven, but it, it takes about seven years to really come to terms and process. There's ongoing revelation. I, I have different authors I've worked with where they saw something in heaven 15 years ago. And for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit didn't reveal what it meant until a year ago or, or, or that sort of a thing. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's most of the stages. Thank you for that challenge. Someday I'll have that in my notes on the screen uh, <laughs> above here, but um, yeah. So again, it's just, that framework, I feel like it gives people structure to talk about and process these stories. And again, yeah. something that I've felt is really lacking in our Christian space for these sorts of books. Yeah. And it gives so much hope, Absolutely. you know, and, and I love the fact that you're looking at it all and you're then looking at the scriptures and you're trying to find the, you know, the compatibility between the stories and the word of God and have done so successfully. Um, I love what you said. It's like it's it because that was one of my questions to you as was. Have you seen how profoundly it's impacted the people that you've interviewed? I mean, are their lives dramatically changed because of the experience? Do you I, find that's I, consistent? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot yeah. of people end up in ministry. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's interesting. Uh, which, which if it was imagination, you wouldn't right. have that kind of transformed life, would you? So, right. Well, and I think the, the the difficult thing is people don't realize the not the risk but um a lot of these experiences these are sacred experiences yeah. with god and like it's it's one of their most precious things so to share it publicly is almost painful because they they feel a real heaviness and a weight of not wanting to taint the experience not wanting to share it improperly um that sort of a thing uh people go undergo dramatic personality shifts uh, Randy Kay, uh, I, I've heard his testimony 50 plus times just because of all the work we've done together. Uh, he's actually in an earlier part of his career was a corporate trainer and they would do these four quadrant assessments about personality and varying things. And what's really fascinating about his journey is earlier, he did not rank as empathetic wherever that point, whatever quadrant that fell in, he was not an empathetic, super kind guy. And I, and I can say Randy is one of the nicest, most kind men I've ever met in my entire life. He did that same e evaluation on himself in the midst of doing some training at some point after his near-death experience. And he actually ranked completely differently than he did before the experience. So he all of a sudden ranked in a quadrant that said he was empathetic and just very, you know, kind and personable. And so, uh, you know, not can't quite say it's scientific proof, but his personality shifted that dramatically. Uh, wow. A lot of people, you know, some of some of them were not believers before the experience, and in the midst of the experience, uh, they become believers or shortly thereafter. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the folks who have near death experiences become uh, very hardcore sold out evangelists, where their their primary concern is, do you know Jesus? Like they're you know there are people who wake up in the hospital from uh, their near death experience, and the the nurse or whoever they encounter first, they'll be like, oh, "Ma'am, I just I just need to ask you, have you have you encountered Jesus? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? That sort of thing." So just a a real burden. Uh, for the gospel. Now, now, that's not to say everybody has those experience. Some people who have more of a, a hell experience or a disturbing NDE kind of experience, uh, you know, they will deal with some level of PTSD or uh, it can be difficult. So not, not all of the experiences 
are always positive. I think a lot of that though can vary by the worldview of the person. And so not, not all NDE books are created equal. Like if you're reading books that are in more of the Christian space, uh, they're going to be more scripture honoring and uh, maybe even gospel oriented. But if you read more broadly, uh, you know, there's new age stuff and a lot of different perspectives. And this was something I didn't even realize uh, falling into this space. You know, I, I just encountered Christian books in this space because I work in Christian publishing. And as we interviewed other people and I started reading more widely, I was amazed at kind of the, some of the pitfalls and other materials that is, that are in this space, you know, interesting to understand how people process and what they think about their experiences. Uh, but it's not everything in the spaces is, is God honoring or maybe even helpful to read. So there's a, a lot of different levels of material out there. Yeah. So, I mean, your book is a very welcome and needed contribution, I think, because it's, I mean, it, you've clearly done an enormous amount of research and you've waded through lots and lots and lots of different testimonies, you know, and you've been very clearly very careful to make sure that what you're communicating in the book is authentic. These are authentic stories that were their lives, like you say, have dramatically changed. I love as well how you say in the book that people describe when they go into heaven, um, it's an, a place of overwhelming love. Right. You know, and, Absolutely. Yeah. That's really massively impacted people and they and how many of them meet Jesus as well. Yeah. The the what's fascinating about when people talk about love, they talk about that love and light are the two things that they see yeah. permeate everything in heaven. It's yeah. in the it's in the grass, it's in the trees, what it's it's in the water, what everything they encounter just uh permeates light. Even uh even the animals. Uh Jim Woodford's in his story, um, horses have always been a, an important part of his life, and he encounters horses in heaven. Uh, and he reaches out and touches one of the horses, and his hand kind of goes into it. And as he pulls his hand back, like they're are aspects of light that are radiating out from the horse. So everything in heaven uh, mm -hmm. reflects the love and and the glory of God to to a degree that uh, people can't help but be transformed yeah. in the midst of yeah. that experience. And so, yeah, yeah. That, that is another consistent theme, the light and the love, uh, even music and singing. People, I've had different people talk about how it's almost like the grass sings, the trees sing, everything they encounter. Uh, it's almost like they're singing praises to God. And so, uh, yeah, just everything, Amazing. praise, light, love, it's all there. Amazing. And and your wife, she experienced this as well, didn't she? I was very moved that you included that in the book. Will you share with us what happened to your wife? Yeah. Well, and my wife, my wife's actually still with us. We're in the latter stages of her of her hospice journey. Um, but what, what's been interesting, um, and I feel like this was a real divine setup. We didn't know my wife was going to be diagnosed with cancer 16 months ago. And yet I'd been on this journey for a couple of years, meeting and interviewing all these people who've been to heaven. And so we've had so many great productive conversations as we've just been grieving and processing and, and walk, walking this journey out. And so I feel like on the one hand, God was preparing me to be able to minister to my wife as she's been going through her cancer journey. Um, but but actually, she had two different experiences, um, and I, I don't share about these specifically in the book, I, I don't think. Uh, I'd, I'd have to go back and check that part. Um, but uh, there was one night, I'm, I'm pretty sure that my wife had what I would call an out-of-body experience, just based on what she described seeing in the room and almost like she was seeing, above, seeing me from above sort of a thing. Um, and then another thing that happened is uh, she had this open vision of meeting her welcoming committee in heaven. And this was probably about four or five months ago that she had this experience where 
Uh, she just had this very detailed open vision of encountering her her father and her grandparents and her brother who are, who have all all gone home to heaven previously. And so, uh, you know, I, I would say just from being able to walk this journey out in hope and confidence and just being able to minister to her, um, having met all these people who've been to heaven and just really having a deep understanding, at least of the the process that people have gone through when they've died and crossed that threshold. Uh, it's just been an amazing tool to, you know, just walk this out and just have great conversations. And, you know, we're grieving and it's difficult, but at the same time, because of this immersion in this heaven space, uh, we just have this great hope. And and this is what I hope long-term as Randy and I do more books in our space, because, you know, in a charismatic ministry space, we believe in healing. We pray for healing. We've seen people healed, but sometimes people don't get healed. And sometimes it's time for them to go home to heaven. And so uh, long-term, as we do more content in this space, we just really hope that these sorts of testimonies and these sorts of conversations can just help us to have more of a, a comfort and maybe build a, a theology around just a, a solid uh, worldview around dying in heaven in the afterlife. And, you know, yes, I think we should always go after healing and pray, and we're going to see that sometimes. Uh, but when we don't, we need to just embrace that hope of heaven and know that it's a, a real place and our Savior is waiting for us to to take mm -hmm. us home. So just just this immersion in this space has just been a real blessing to our family in these last 16 months. Absolutely. And to countless numbers of people who are going to read the book and also the books that you've already put out there in your podcast, they're amazing because it, people do need to know, they really do need hope, hey, that there is, this is one chapter of life that goes right. on and he really is real. You know, I was, um, I was just remembering when you were speaking then, it when my mum passed into glory, I of course was in tremendous grief because she died suddenly. And um the six days after she went home to be with the Lord, I went into an open vision. I was worshiping in the car, went into an open vision, and I saw the moment that she went into heaven, and I saw her in the meadow. And then I saw my grandpa walking to meet her as the part of the welcoming committee. Now, in my understanding at that time, I wouldn't have scripted it that way. I would have had other members of the family meeting her, you know, <laughs> for various reasons. But anyway, but it wasn't. And I watched this beautiful moment and I heard through Holy Spirit inside of me, I heard my mom speak and she said, I'm young and I'm free, live your life to the full. And then all the, as I saw this, Holy Spirit lifted all the grief off me. And I literally went into just such gratitude and joy that she was there and she was happy and she was free and she wasn't sick anymore, you know. And then a few days later, I received a card from a friend of mine who'd been in New York airport and had heard my mum had passed. And she wrote me a, just an encouraging card and to say she was praying for me. And in the card, it said, Liz, your mum is in the meadow in heaven. She's young and she's free. Live your life to the full. <laughs> wow. So well, just... And what a treasure. To, it's all real, hey? One comment, just to piggyback off the comment of her being young, um, that's another interesting aspect in terms of seeing other people, encountering other people in heaven. People seem to be the age of about 25 to 30. I don't know why that is, but right. that's another consistent theme where the, the loved ones they encounter, the people they encounter that have already gone to heaven before them, are they look to be about what they look like in, from age 25 to 30. So 
Yeah, mom, I said the same thing. Mom, <laughs> mom looked about 30. She was just gorgeous, like living her best life, literally. <laughs> but, oh my gosh, it's brilliant talking to you. I'm so excited that this book's out and it's just, yeah, it's going to get all across the nations of the earth. I have no doubt because it's time for this kind of hope. Thank you for coming on and sharing all this amazing research. It's really good to talk to you. Truly, truly my pleasure. Randy's in my heart is that uh, this book just goes around the world and it gives people a framework to uh, process their own near-death experience if they have one. And mm. if if they are passionate about sharing these stories, that it really just gives them a structure to be able to effectively communicate uh, these stories to others. Because as you said, uh, these stories give people a lot of hope for what's going to happen when they cross over into the afterlife. And that's an appointment yeah. all of us have at some point in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And I do believe that it is... Uh, it is intentional on the Lord's part. He's sending these people back with powerful testimony that gives us a glimpse, hey, of what's what's ahead. <laughs> so thank you so much. And guys, thank you for joining us for today's it's a, bit, a bit different, but extremely powerful conversation. Have the most amazing week, so full of renewed hope and faith and every need met through his riches in glory. He's a very big God. Hey, so have an amazing, amazing week and look forward to being with you again next week. God bless. As we consecrate ourselves, giving all that we are to Jesus, we will experience his love. We will experience freedom. The more we lean into him, the more we surrender, the more power comes through us. God's going to encounter you.